as I was getting into Bitcoin mining, when I first heard about this, I, I often, I really sympathize with people because I was very dismissive and skeptical. And then as, as they start to peel back the onion, almost always they say, well, this, this could have very real world implications for our business. I share this conviction that Bitcoin adoption is gonna continue a hyperbolic increase upwards and that eventually the vast majority of people will use this. It will be totally second nature and natural that like, what do you mean I don't use Bitcoin? Of course, of course I have a wallet on my phone. Produced by Podcast Architects. Welcome back to another episode of The Path Forward. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Rick Fernandez, and we talk about innovation, education, and the merging of the two. And I'm very excited for our guest today. Uh, this is a little executive privilege right here because those of you that know me know you, you know I love everything crypto, Bitcoin, blockchain. So I'm very happy to have Steve Kennard here with me on the show today. And he's the director of Bitcoin Mining Analytics for the Texas Blockchain Council. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Rick, on a Friday afternoon, no less, but I'm happy to be here and I think we'll have plenty to talk about. A hundred percent. And you're going to have to stop me from asking questions because this thing will go <laughs> six hours if, if I get to ask all the questions I want. But I think we have a similar story about when we got started and how we got started with interest in it. But just to be sure, share how you got into the Bitcoin space. Yeah, so I'll take kind of a step back. My background is really as an energy professional, as an oil and gas professional. And in many aspects, even today, I still consider myself an energy professional. I think anyone in the Bitcoin space should proudly wear that title. So that was really my background, born and raised in Texas, went to A&M, lived abroad for a while, got a business degree out in D.C., and then I wanted to move back home to Texas. And the best way to do that, I thought, was to start an oil company. So I went to Houston and was part of a, a team that came together that started an oil company there. And so I had kind of firsthand experience building something out of nothing. And it's important to my Bitcoin journey because I interacted directly with the struggles of oil and gas operators to get their natural gas to market. Often in the oil field, you'll drill a well based on oil economics only and gas comes up with it. And so you're left saying, well, what do we do with the gas? If you don't have a pipeline, you just get nothing. You just burn it off. You flare it. So I had lived that firsthand. I moved up to Dallas, which is where I was born and raised, and I still live today, um, to work on the banking side of oil and gas. And that's what I was doing when COVID hit. And so everyone's got a story about how that changed their life. And in this case, it was pretty revolutionary for me because I was really getting paid to sit home. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of work to be done in oil and gas when prices were negative, if, if you remember <laughs> at the depths of COVID there. So there wasn't a lot, a lot of work to do. I had time on my hands. And the, the, the seed of all of this was really planted by my wife who said, hey, I think we should buy some Bitcoin. I was very dismissive of that, uh, very traditional kind of legacy MBA type of outlook. Um, and it sent me down the proverbial rabbit hole since most of the time my wife's right and I'm wrong. That's kind of a rule <laughs> of life that, that applies to more things than Bitcoin. <laughs> and uh, I found myself going down this road and I don't honestly know how, when or where I heard about Bitcoin mining in the oil field. But then I was hooked from kind of this energy perspective because I said, look, if you can bring another way to monetize that stranded gas, I just knew that's a huge transformational opportunity for Texas. And so I really couldn't take my mind off of that. I, I couldn't find enough to read about it, podcast to listen about it, started going to conferences. And I met Lee Bratcher, who is really my neighbor. Uh, he lives about a mile away from me. And uh, he had founded the Texas Blockchain Council more as a side hustle. He was a professor by background. Right. And we, we hit it off. Our kids are similar ages and he's just a great guy. And uh, we, um, we really started to... Uh, you know, to explore uh, whether or not and or how I might be able to support the, the the work of the Texas Blockchain Council more more enthusiastically, and ultimately that ended up with me saying, you know what, I'm just going to leave my comfortable corporate job. I need to, you know, give this a shot. And so I've been full time focused on on Bitcoin and really Bitcoin mining advocacy 
for about a year and a half now uh, with the Texas Blockchain Council. So there's a number of questions in, in that I that after sharing that that I have. And like I said, our similar story and shout out to, to my brother-in-law, Jared Gabriel, EOG Resources. He was the one that kind of educated me on the stranded gas and what that meant. And then uh, much like you, I started attending some TBC events and met some people there that kind of share like, hey, this problem, if we can transfer it into some type of, of mining capacity, um, there's huge benefits on all sides. And that's where I really started to dive in. Uh, but I do have to ask, since your wife is the one that gave you the nudge, how much does she get to pull the card? Like, hey, I'm the one. Remember, I'm the one that said buy, buy this, and this is going to be a value. Like, does, does that ever come up in the finance discussion? Sometimes, man, I tell you what, I'll have to add that to the long list of reasons that I love her. Because, because no, <laughs> it, it hasn't, it hasn't come up, but. Uh, but she's she's very supportive, very sweet. And I, I can say, you know, she's never kind of lorded that over me. I think in many ways, you know, we couldn't ever have, have predicted where that was going to go. Sure. <laughs> and so I, I'm, I promise you, if you'd asked me, I would have said I'm working in the oil field for life. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm in this. That's I've built up a career. Um, but I'm glad that uh, that life took this turn. So I love your, your entre entrepreneurial spirit there. When did you know you were going to take that leap of faith? Was there one like moment that you were like, all right, I'm just, we're just going to do it. We're going to, we're going to, this is the crux of it. And I'm going to jump in uh, all in. It's a good question. I honestly, you know, I'm going to say no. Well, I can definitely say there's, there wasn't like a particular inflection point that something happened or someone said something and I said, well, that's it. You know, <laughs> um, you know, honestly, it was a bit of a struggle. My heart was in Bitcoin long before uh, I made the change. But, you know, the reality of the situation was I had a good job um, and with a with, with a promising trajectory. Um, and more or less, I was hoping that I could kind of merge the two, to be honest. And it became apparent that within the the, the kind of traditional banking trajectory, you know, Banks have not been overly welcoming or friendly to Bitcoin yet. I think a lot from a lack of understanding and also the regulatory uncertainty, which is undeniable. Um, so I don't mean to throw banks under the bus, but the reality was that I probably was hanging around longer than I maybe in retrospect <laughs> would have would have done because uh, I was thinking, well, maybe an opportunity will come or the right time and place to bring this up will present itself. Um, but you know, the other thing too, is the oil field was kind of booming, coming back out of COVID prices were coming up, 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 up. So not a lot of incentive for companies to say, well, let's get like real innovative right now. You know, when, when the, the, the opportunity right in front was just to execute on kind of the same old bread and butter business. Um, so I think it was more, yeah, it was more like a process that, that ultimately led me to that. And, uh, it, it was a situation as well where, I, I tend to take pride in my work and as increasingly I found my heart, you know, wasn't in it. My heart was in Bitcoin and wanting to learn about that. It, it became sort of a, a decision of, of what was really right for my former employer as well. Cause it's like, look, you don't want someone around who's, whose mind is, is constantly on some other subject matter that doesn't align with, you know, with the tasks that need to get done. So after kind of weeks and months of, of reflecting and praying on that, I just said, I, I got to make a change or, or, or like eliminate Bitcoin from the career trajectory. And so I didn't want to eliminate the Bitcoin. So I had to, <laughs> I had to yeah, pursue absolutely. that. Um, and I was lucky that, you know, the opportunity, what a, what a tremendous coincidence that the founder of the Texas Blockchain Council lives almost walkable from my home. You know, and so it was just real easy for me to go to all the meetings and get to know them and get plugged in with the with the network here. So that played a big role as well. So your role for TBC, give us your, your day to day or month to month. What are you doing? How are you doing? How do you affect uh, the education space and also um, helping people around the state and around the country understand uh, Bitcoin and its value? Yes, yeah, so, I mean the short answer is there is no day to day. Each day kind of feels like a like a new day. But the way that Lee and I, Lee being the the president of TBC, kind of envisioned the value proposition of this role 
is, is twofold. First, as the title indicates, to focus primarily on Bitcoin mining. We have a broader mandate. We have a lot of issues that we that we advocate around, but it made sense to have someone that was kind of a Bitcoin first, Bitcoin mining focus. And I had that passion and interest. And so I was proud to take that mantle up. So that's kind of number one. Number two was TVC's traditional strength, given Lee's background as a political science professor, was in that political advocacy effort. And that was the most kind of burning need of the industry, frankly. And so that was well established. Um, and the idea with this role was, well, what about things that are outside of that purview that we generally thought of as new strategic partnerships? And so perhaps the two most fruitful so far, or I'll just give two examples of how we've put that into execution. Um, so one is with my alma mater, Texas A&M, which I'm a proud Aggie, as most Aggies are. But all Aggies, not all, most. All. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And so, as, as you well know, we're, we're an energy powerhouse. We're an energy yeah. university. 100%. Bitcoin is energy money. And so the further along we get with A&M, the more I'm like, this was inevitable all along. But the reality is, honestly, it really wasn't. It was about a year and a half now. It was in the early days and weeks of me getting plugged into to Texas Blockchain Council that an opportunity presented itself to go down to College Station for an event they were hosting there um, focused on Bitcoin. And I said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to work with our members and I'm going to take a Bitcoin mining machine down and I'm going to donate it because I love my school and I just think this will be fun. And I didn't know where that was going to go. Well, thankfully, there were a number of professors that were very interested in the subject matter uh, and accepted the donation. And then we began the long process of kind of getting that machine plugged in and getting the students engaged. And that's where I think we really had a big impact because I've been down to A&M regarding this partnership probably six or seven times now. And there's always new and interesting students from multidisciplinary backgrounds that find different angles and ways to think about this, but leveraging the traditional strength of Texas A&M and particularly the Texas A&M Energy Institute there. Um, the university is one of the leading research centers for the Texas grid, the ERCOT-operated electrical grid in Texas. And of course, that's where Bitcoin miners uh, uh, often find their home if they're not in the oil field and are really pioneers in helping us to reimagine what the grid of the future looks like. And so naturally, a lot of questions arise around that. And so A&M is increasingly stepping into that void and bringing really an academic, um, really global uh, level of, of knowledge and expertise. I'll tell you something that's funny. I went to that conference and I said, you know, the top university right now that gets cited in newspaper articles and the media in general, if you went and looked um, in, uh, in 2022, this was a little more than a year ago, was Cambridge and in the UK. And I said, sure, it's a, it's a well-known school. It's a famous, it's, it's a prestigious name, right? They've started this alternative finance institute. And I think a lot of the work they're doing there is very interesting. I would encourage your, your listeners to check that out. It's, it's a pretty uh, substantial website with all kinds of different uh, research initiatives that go well beyond blockchain and Bitcoin that really deal with the finance industry of the future. So that, that's all well and fine. They certainly have a lot of money, um, but there's no Bitcoin mining. And so my, my question was, how is it possible that U.S.-based media, when dealing with an industry that's coming here, investing here, primarily in Texas, is citing research from England? I just, right. I don't think that makes any sense. And pretty much everyone in the room is nodding along saying, yeah, we're Texans. We're not going to, you know, play second fiddle to researchers in England. And I think that's the huge opportunity we've got is... I've been singing this and saying it at many universities and I'm seeing more and more traction. You know, we can be number one in the world for this new budding industry. Texas can be just like we are in oil and gas, the undisputed number one place where people come to learn about this new technology that has far reaching implications. And right now it's being led first by Cambridge. And then I'd probably say MIT is kind of number two in there. 
for in terms of blockchain related research and notoriety. Um, and again, there's no Bitcoin mining going on in Massachusetts. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for a major state university in the largest state of Bitcoin mining, you know, leading that charge. Of course, it just so happens that the largest Bitcoin mine in the world is about a 45 minute drive from the Texas A&M campus. So that helps that's, well. is that, that's right, correct? That's right. That's right. And in uh, Rockdale. So we've taken students out there and, you know, nobody goes to that facility and says, yeah, this is all going away. I'm not interested. Universally, I've been there with U.S. senators. We went there with Ted Cruz down to new students just coming into A&M. And the reaction at a base level is always the same. And it's astonishment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just kind of a, a certain level of speech. They're blown away. It's just you're you're you don't even know what to say because you go there and it's like this is a facility. It's hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. It's a huge employee. You see all of the, the people who are employed by it moving about um, and what an engineering feat it is to put something together uh, at that scale. And it does make you really start to think, wow, what if there's two and three and four and five of these? And there are those are being built and invested in uh, in Texas. And so. It's just really been a privilege to see that and and be a part of it um, and and you know and, and and just invite people to engage with the industry that way. So that was a long way to describe our our first partnership, which is which is Texas A and M. Very proud of that. We we also have a great relationship, I should say, with TCU. Um, we've hosted events there in Fort Worth um, and with Dallas College, uh, Texas State Technical College. Um, so th there's, we're, we're working on a partnership with UTD here down the road from where I'm sitting. So there's a lot of interest. Um, so I, I don't want to just highlight the A&M thing, but I do have to really give them credit for, for, for doing tremendous work and, and being out in front in, in terms of the Bitcoin mining research. Um, you know, uh, an, another really interesting partnership we've had talking about my, my oil and gas background is with um, the American Association of Professional Landmen, AAPL. They host what is one of, if not the largest, oil and gas conference annual event, mm -hmm. uh, the North American Prospect Expo, which is generally referred to as NAEP, which is in Houston. And I went to five NAEPs in a row, I believe, before leaving my job. I mean, it's, it's the event um, right. uh, in downtown Houston, thousands and thousands of people. Uh, and uh, we launched a Bitcoin mining pavilion in partnership with them uh, at that event. And it was very well received and a ton of interest has come from that of people that are really like, hey, I kind of thought this was like a joke or I don't understand it. And then as, as they start to peel back the onion, almost always I say, well, this, this could have very real world implications for our business. And so actually last night, Interestingly enough, the event NAEP is in Houston. The office for AAPL is in Fort Worth. <laughs> so interestingly enough, last night we went over to Fort Worth and hosted an educational, a continuing education event at their headquarters there in Fort Worth. And it was really just such an uplifting experience to have this diverse group of people talking about the future of what this technology can do for the oil and gas industry and particularly the role of landmen, which is what AAPL deals with in properly documenting things and helping to kind of formalize because we're in the process right now of like a lot of people are interested and we're finally getting into execution. Right. And how do you actually implement this business legally with documents? What kind of lease arrangements? What kind of rights and responsibilities do the different parties and stakeholders have? And so it was just awesome to get in a room and talk about that and really try to advance that that discussion there. And then we ended with an opportunity for people to go to one of our member companies. 360 Mining has a mining facility on an oil well in Fort Worth um, on a natural gas well, I should say. And so it was kind of taking that theoretical and then saying this is happening now. You know, this is how they look at practice. That's exactly that's right. And so. That, that partnership has been really great, um, tremendous potential there. We'll absolutely continue with it um, and, and really love being a part of NAEP 
in Houston, and I'm, I'm positive that AAPL and NAEP will have a presence as well at our summit, which is in Fort Worth in, in November. And so it's, it's a mutually beneficial arrangement. So that, that's kind of the, the, the thrust of what we're trying to do at Texas Blockchain Council. And we're always canvassing our members and the people listening to this of bring us new ideas. How do we bring new people in to this industry and get interesting discussions happening? There's a lot of events out there. Sure. Plenty to pick from. You know, we don't focus on like throwing the best party. We're trying to listen <laughs> to our members and and have high impact events and education that leads to growing the industry and bringing new professionals and new companies in. For the for the energy sector, right? Uh, you, you mentioned ERCOT and, you know, sometimes ERCOT is maligned depending upon uh, what you see and what you hear. And even even miners, right, and how they affect the grid. There's a lot of misinformation out there. But from my research, my understanding, miners actually help and strengthen the grid. Tell me, tell me if I'm wrong, right? Give me a little bit into how they affect our grid. Yeah. Look, this this is a great question. The first thing I'll say, I've been to, I've been to the ERCOT building in Austin numerous times, and I I really would take this opportunity to kind of lift ERCOT up. I know it's okay. easy. It's easy for everyone to say, oh, yeah. ERCOT, and we hate, and, and, you know, all the grit. It's an exceedingly difficult job. It's very complex, often thankless. You know, when the grid works, no one wants to talk about it. When there's a problem, <laughs> yeah, no. It's only when the lights right? go off, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's just tough in, in general, all right? There was a lot of turnover post winter storm Yuri. So there's personnel struggles. And I think that in the aftermath of that, the efforts around engaging with industry and seeking out solutions and being constructive are something to be applauded because they are working very hard uh, to make sure that our grid is as reliable as it can be. They don't control a lot of things that impact that. Uh, they're there to just serve all of the users. They don't get to dictate what kind of generation is built. So I'm just saying it's a, it's a difficult job. And there's people down there that are, frankly, hustling on the behalf of all Texans. And I think a modicum of, of respect for that difficult work is, is reasonable. Um, the second thing I would say is, as I was getting into Bitcoin mining, when I first heard about this, I, I often, I really sympathize with people because I was very dismissive and skeptical. So, what, what was your biggest, your biggest, like, ah, this is, this is a, a hoax or this is funny money. I think th the most compelling kind of falsehood that, that drew me in was I said, this is just going to be hacked and it'll go away. It'll, it's just some, some, you know, kid out there will figure out a few keystrokes and this will be done. And uh, and your coins will all be gone, and and this is it, you know this is just fundamentally a, a flash in the pan sort of thing. Um, and my short response here, since we can't go six hours, as we said before, is you know the underlying encryption algorithm that secures the network is Secure Hash Algorithm two fifty six. That algorithm is not unique to the Bitcoin network. It was developed by the NSA by the United States government. It's never been cracked. It's exceedingly difficult. It's very, very difficult, and we can rest very much assured that the, the 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 brightest and most nefarious minds in China and Russia and in our own government, I'm sure, have tried to break that encryption algorithm, and they've been unable to. And frankly, if it's broken, we probably have bigger problems than Bitcoin because it's securing all kinds of other different secrets. So I didn't appreciate that at the beginning of ju of just how just the really the miracle of the mathematics behind encryption and studying that and how exceedingly difficult it is. I've heard it characterized as like picking a random atom out of the universe and guessing it correctly. It's just, it's vanishingly small, the probability that somebody could reverse engineer or break that in, encryption algorithm. Uh, so that's I mean, number one. Is it fair to say, because this, this is a great point that you're making. Is it fair to say, so like, obviously you got a bank account, you have investments, those those things that I have are easier to hack, easier to to default or fraud, more so than anything that has to do with Bitcoin and, and the algorithm that supports that. Is that a fair statement? I think I think it's fair. I would have an addendum to that where the, 
what differentiates Bitcoin so much is in order to have the security of what the Bitcoin network offers, you have to hold your private keys. And that requires self-reliance, right? So if something happens with your bank, you can always recover it. You can go down to, you know, you go, you go to the branch and right. go reset it or whatever it is. So it, 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 it never resides entirely with you, right? I think that's a strength. I'm a believer in sovereign individuals uh, and individual liberty, but it is a key difference. <laughs> and for some people, it, it creates uh, anxiety. And, you know, different people have different outlooks, but it is a remarkable technical advancement that for essentially free, because I mean, this is open source software, you can open a wallet on the Bitcoin network, receive Bitcoin, have no counterparty risk, hold that for yourself, just you with those private keys, and nobody can take that from you. I think there's an underlying human rights advancement there that, that shouldn't be discounted. Well, it takes you know, work I, to understand it. It's just, no, it, it, 100%. It, it's too mind bending when you first encounter that and you say, no, that's just that's silly. So it took me two years. I often tell people this. It took me two years. Part of my work and just meeting with people and having discussions like this is maybe it'll take you two months or in the best case scenario, two weeks. But nobody just sits down for a conversation and says, I get it. Great. No more questions. I, I believe you got to grapple with some of these issues to, to come out the other side, realizing that, you know, you don't have to sell everything you have and just buy Bitcoin. But I do think that it's a very compelling technical advancement that has unique properties that you cannot get anywhere else. I'll say that. You know, where it hit me and like, where it really like made me think, this is ridiculous. Yeah. When I, when I bought a house, Right. Because yeah. you're transferring funds and there's this weight and I, it's a lot of funds to be transferred and weight on this wire. And I don't have and it's taking time. And I'm like, why is this? You can hit a key and, and send stuff instantaneously. Like, why am I in this predicament for my own money worried about it? Yeah. And it, it I was like, this is kind of ridiculous. Uh, yeah. And then I started thinking back, this is what people are talking about is there's no need to do that. Uh, we, we really have the technology where that anxiety that I'm having about sending money into the ether and hoping that it gets between a third party on my behalf is a, is way more scary in my opinion than you know hey making sure I have my own my own uh, individual security keys to access and so that's when it like really sank in for me like this is I need to really think about how this is going to affect my life not only at this one transaction but moving forward. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's an empowering experience to not ask anyone, but if you want to confirm a transaction's taken place, it's it's very cheap and available to have a block explorer. And if you've got a transaction ID in the address, you can find it. You don't have to you don't have to wonder, you know, <laughs> where the Bitcoin's gone or where you you can everybody can see it. It's it's really the most transparent network, um, and it it's a unique value proposition. Um, so yeah, we you know we we uh, we digress a little there, but I think it's an important it's an important discussion to have. Um, and I I often try to lead with like, hey, I know this is difficult to wrap your head around, um, and and really I, I don't blame people or judge anyone for being dismissive or skeptical because it's it's a natural kind of reaction to a to a really disruptive technology. We, we were having a funny discussion last night <laughs> uh, where uh, I was kind of inviting people, and you might have a better example of this, but the, the one that, that jumped out to me was, was texting and Twitter, and I'll explain this. So I was finishing high school in 2003, the early days of texting. Uh, you know, I didn't have a cell phone until I got out of high school. Like it, was, it was like a privilege to have a – they were expensive back then. And texting was like ridiculous, so slow. It was like 50 cents a message. The little envelope, you had to like hit the number, like, you know, if you want to see, you had to hit one, you know, twice. Like it, it was completely absurd. And uh, I, I just, I so remember not just me, but all of us like laughing, like, why would you do that? Like, just call someone. Why would you ever do this? This is ridiculous. And if somebody had, had said to me, 
Well, actually, what's going to happen is in a couple years, there'll be a, a phone with the, where the whole thing is a screen, the iPhone, which came out four years later. And then you'll use this texting in this little app that's going to have a little blue bird on it. And within 15 years, the presidential election will be swayed and largely determined by what is texted on that little Bluebird app. It, I mean, it sounds so completely and totally absurd that you wouldn't have even, it, it, you couldn't even come up with something that ridiculous back then of where that technology was going to lead to. And I think there's others examples that we interact with technology, just dismiss it. And then in retrospect, it's like, yeah, of course, of course, Blockbuster was going to go away and Netflix was going to win. That wasn't that obvious. When that, when no, that not was at all. In the early, as, right? as one that had Blockbuster stock way back when. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. but, I was holding on. I was like, maybe it'll come back. Maybe the VCR will come back. Uh, I, love, I, I got out of it soon enough. but <laughs> I, I have a soft place in my heart for Blockbuster. But, uh, uh, but, you know, that's the experience that many of us have had with these technologies. Uh, so yes. I share this conviction that Bitcoin adoption is going to continue a hyperbolic increase upward. And that eventually the vast majority of people will use this in some shape, way or form. And it, it will be totally second nature and natural that like, what do you mean I don't use Bitcoin? Of course, of course I have a wallet on my phone. Like it'll just be a basic, like there's no question that, that you would have that. And that still seems kind of far-fetched to a lot of people. Um, but that's, that's the process of a new technology emerging. It's still very volatile. So it's just, it's a good example. And I, I think it helps people get, you know, take a step back and, and, and kind of reassess where we are in the process. Cause it's still very early, but. No, you know, my example of sharing with a friend, we were talking about something and um, we were at dinner and I said, think about it this way. Can you think of the last time you paid with cash? When's the last time you paid dinner with cash? And we were both looking at each other like, I couldn't tell you, like, I couldn't pinpoint, you know, maybe giving the kids lunch, but I don't even give the kids lunch money. It goes into their school, you know, lunch account. Like that type of is what makes me think like there's things that we're not going to, to, to use uh, in the same way. And our kids are not even going to experience cash at all. I wouldn't think, you know, there's going to be a point where it's not even something that you do. Um, and which leads me to the to the question you were, we were talking about Texas and Texas being the leader. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going to be? Because I, I agree with you one hundred percent. There is abs zero reason this state is unbelievable for innovation and business, and it's it's ripe for for being the leader globally, in my belief. What's that tipping point for for the state? And I have my own belief about that, but I want to hear what your thought is. Is what's our tipping point? How do we get there? I guess. I may have a, a non-traditional outlook on this, but I really think that it it comes back to the, the, I think that in the coming years, increasingly, Bitcoin miners are going to show that this kind of innovation in our electrical grid can be really revolutionary to make it more resilient um, and to facilitate more and more generation that is being built, largely solar and wind, that is very um, volatile, that is weather dependent. Uh, I think that the story of that is going to help to pull this into the mainstream more and make it like a Texan, like that's a distinctly, we, we, we have a unique situation in Texas that we have our own grid system. Um, and so I'm a believer that this story is really so positive if we can turn the narrative and, and orient it towards truth, um, that there's a point of, of pride there, frankly. Like when I go and interact with these Texas A&M researchers, I'm like, we have got to continue this research. And like, what an incredible opportunity for our kind of home, homegrown talent to lead in like fundamentally reimagining how a, an energy grid works. And, so, and something I would highlight in this, in terms of what's going on in ERCOT and our Texas grid, you know, Bitcoin miners, they don't participate in anything that's special to them. I think that's a big 
misunderstanding that they're getting like some kind of special treatment or a subsidy. Absolutely not. They are not getting a subsidy. Any company can participate in what's referred to as the ancillary services market within ERCOT. I'll give you an interesting statistic. Last month, it was real hot, as you as all Texans know, <laughs> and there was volatility in the grid. There were some close calls there. And ERCOT relies on that ancillary service market to procure flexible demand that they can use to balance the grid through those difficult moments of, you know, wind surging upwards or downwards, demand spiking when it gets when it gets hot. So the total cost of that was about $900 million. And so we'll see headlines where this company got 10 or 20 or 30 million in an ancillary service market. And it's just not, it's a much bigger market. And it's not just unique to Bitcoin miners. And the reason it's there is to help the grid. Like we're not just paying for nothing. It's not just like a, 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 a grant that's being, sure. that's being handed out. It's based on the assessment that that is a required resource to ensure that the, that the grid is as resilient as it as it can be. And if somebody can do it better, faster, cheaper than the Bitcoin miner, then they're going to win out because that's an that's an open bidding process. So the the reason that's important is because the miners are showing that they are the best. They are the most effective at providing that flexibility that can help help to to balance the grid and to support more and more resources that we need coming into our grid. So I'm I'm hopeful like how does this become a Texas story? That to me is we we are in a very very unique situation to show and really at scale prove out the societal benefits of embracing that side of of Bitcoin mining. And what I would say is we already see a lot of our miners that are starting to pursue and look at other kinds of high performance computing applications. And the biggest is artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so think about how much bigger that could get. So it's it, it's not I love Bitcoin. I think it's an important technology, but it's not just about Bitcoin. Right. It's that the miners are at the cutting edge of kind of breaking open this new frontier of how large flexible loads on the grid can play a positive role and how should we structure that? How should we invest in it? How should we compensate it? And that's an important question. And if Texas becomes the leader, I think we'll create that sort of hub of, of subject matter expertise, just like we did in oil and gas where it doesn't mean there's no oil and gas companies in Oklahoma, for instance. Of course there are. I don't have anything against Oklahoma. But Texas is the undisputed number one place for oil and gas. That's the same future I see for Bitcoin mining. And as we kind of embrace that identity, I think that increased Bitcoin adoption itself, just at a retail level, is kind of a natural, you know, downstream of, of that. Um, so that that's my outlook. That's how I got pulled really into Bitcoin is because it's energy money and having a scarce resource, a perfectly scarce resource like Bitcoin that's secured by energy is very interesting to me. And it should be interesting to all Texans because we're an energy state. That's what we do best. Uh, so that that's that's the, the the near term future that I see, you know, more. More broadly, I think that I'll give you another interesting example from what we did last night. It's so simple, but it's helpful. We just invited up um, the the head of uh, AAPL, uh, Leanne, who runs that that association in Fort Worth that we were partnering with. And we just said, let's we'll just do a small Bitcoin transaction just to show. And so we helped her download an app on her phone. It's free. Um, and then Lee sent her not not a lot, just some small <laughs> amount, just a just couple to hundred. Show that, you know, she hadn't interacted with it, and in right, you know, three minutes, you had a free app on your phone, had a QR code, he swiped it, and boom, you were you were done. And that kind of simple, like, look, we can talk and talk and pontificate and all that, but just interact at a basic level with how simple this is. And often people say, yeah, like more and more people are going to use, like you said, it, it's it's just easier than legacy cash or slow systems. 
Um, so that's kind of the simple, uh, we often just, we'll try to go down that path of, yeah, we can, we can talk analysis and the history and the encryption algorithm, but Use let me it. just show you this app. Like, let me just, let me, you know, let's just do it. And almost universally people are like, oh, I didn't know it was so easy. So it's, that's it's, it. it's, it's an easy way to do it. A hundred percent. One of the best moments for me was downloading an app on my wife and saying, Hey, let's just buy 500 bucks in, in Bitcoin and, and do you just play with it. Like just see, she was so excited. Like, you know, she got to, she's watching it like, Hey, what does it mean here? Can I, can I sell it now? You can sell it now. You can wait and learning about it through, like you said, using an experiment. That's what I had to jump in there when, when it was, when I was getting in, you know, pretty early and figuring out, all right, do I trust to send this money over this, you know, and, and say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And if I lose a couple hundred bucks here and there, I need to experiment to see how this thing works. And is it, is it really, is it really what people are saying it is where it's instantaneous and I don't have to go through all of these third parties to, to be able to do some, some transactions. It's been great. Um, that, that learning experience. Can I give you my pitch on, on how we help the help, help it tip a little bit in Texas? I, I'm interested to hear it, please. I mean, so, you know, we hadn't had a, a, a long time to talk today, but been an educator for a long time before I got into the private sector. I really have a passion for getting this technology into the hands of students, right? Because I think it's like you've been talking about, it's all interconnected. We're talking about finance. We're talking about energy. We're talking about business, all the things that make, you know, Texas great and strong and healthy. And like you said, the, the technology is continuing to evolve. What they're going to have to do with technology when they get into the workforce is not nowhere near what you and I have had to do, what our parents have had to do. It, it is continuously evolving. Right. And the rate of change is so fast now. I feel like if we can get into the hands of students to experiment, to learn about, to understand, it will exponentially blow up and, and, and be a good thing. And even if it's something that, hey, nah, this isn't for me or that's okay, but the all of the aspects that, that can be integrated and learned, it touches every part of, of the educational spectrum in, in my belief. Um, and I think school districts and universities for that matter, need to understand that like you you can't keep you can't keep this out of the hands of our we just because the adults are a little fearful or, or, or don't know a lot about it that can't be a barrier to the next generation because they're going to have to use it they're going to have to understand it and why not texas shouldn't be miami shouldn't be new york it should be us because we've got the the people and the infrastructure and in the state to be able to do it i think better than anybody it's just just my own personal belief so that's been my big push is like, I want it in, in schools to understand and learn. And, and there's been a little bit, and I've pitched to a couple of schools, like, look, I'll build the curriculum. I'll write the coursework. I'll do whatever I need to do to help. I'll, I'll, I'll find somebody that will give us some mining equipment and just show us the algorithm and talk about how this, how this works. Um, and it's just hard because educators are a little like, well, we don't, we don't know enough about it. Right. They've heard the term Bitcoin, but we just don't, we're unsure. Well, uh, that's well said. I couldn't agree more. And in fact, we'll have to uh, we'll have to follow up because next week we're going on a tour of a of a K through twelve school here uh, in the area. I'll, I'll refrain from disclosing their name because I don't know if they would want that because um, we're in that assessment phase of kind of what is this? How might it be in the curriculum? What 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 does that look like? Uh, and and I don't know the answer to be honest, Rick. But I am encouraged that. Um, you know, that, they, that, that they've invited us to, to, to come and meet. And my understanding is we're going to talk with one of the the uh, the classes there. I think a, a, like a fintech club that they might have. That's so awesome. There's some there's some green shoots. I don't know ultimately, you know, what that curriculum looks like and how how to how to get kids interacting with that. But I do agree that we need to encourage and embrace that schools should be a place to foster innovation. Doesn't mean every innovation works or that every kid's going to want to work in that, but we have to be exposed to a broad set of different possibilities, right? So I give this school credit for, I think, pursuing that kind of approach. Um, and then Bitcoin, particularly, I do feel strongly like some people, it'll have a huge impact in their life. But I think in the future, almost everyone is going to use this in some way, shape or form. 
So, so having those base, it's like the typing class I had to take when I was in school. Like <laughs> it is handy to be able to type without looking at it. So knowing the basics of like how to download an open source wallet and track a transaction, it's not bad knowledge to have and could have very far reaching utility, uh, even if you're not a full time, you know, Bitcoin professional. Uh -huh. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to pursue it and just keep an open mind and see how I can be a resource. But I, I love where your head's at and, and your, your, you know, ambition to lead in that area. Well, if you think about it, like when we were kids, right. And I don't want to belabor this point, but a lot of times it's so hard to, to have kids be interested in something like we know it's good for them. We know the, the careers out there, but they're kids. They're like, and I'm not really interested. You have all of the things that you've always wanted in terms of being an educator and being able to say, hey, this is going to be interesting for all of these factors, right? You've got gaming components, you've got peer-to-peer, -peer, which they're already operating in. You've got all of these things that, that you've been wanting to have for your programming to say kids are going to be interested. So therefore, their parents are going to support it and we can do this well. Right here, like exploding in front of us, right? And, and it's kind of like the robotics and STEM. Everybody's, you know, was so hot on robotics and STEM. Uh, because kids are interested in it and you have that now. And, and my belief is the time is to strike now because they are interested and it touches almost every piece of how they're interacting. We just haven't made the connections uh, ourselves as adults just yet, but they will. Uh, they'll they'll make the connections quicker than, than we do sometimes. So, I mean, kudos, kudos to you guys for doing that. And if I can be a resource or help, I mean, literally I have written syllabuses. I have written, you know, in the, the text education agency, there's, there's a, an innovative course that you have to fill out. Like I've gone as far as I can go. I'm just looking for some, some districts to say, Hey, we need to do this. Right. Cause you mentioned you AI. To talk about there, Rick, I'll, I'll have to follow up with you. Let's see how these I mean, next meetings go. So yes, sir. Yes, sir. From suspense. And, uh, From suspense there. <laughs> yeah, a little teaser. Yeah. Well, Hey, I know I don't want to take up too much of your time. I do want to let you uh, shout out a November big event coming up for, for TBC. Tell us a little bit about that. And if people want to get involved, how do they do it? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Rick. So we have uh, one big annual event that's bigger than all others. It is our summit. It is um, this year. It is the North American Blockchain Summit. So we've really expanded this because we've had a lot of um, nationwide attendees in the past and even international. So it's gone from from Texas Summit to really the North American Blockchain Summit. And we've moved it from Austin to Fort Worth, um, which I think is going to be a really exciting venue. Fort Worth was the first city to mine Bitcoin through a partnership that we were involved in with the city of Fort Worth. And it's just a really fun town. We're going to be right in the downtown at the convention center. So really nice venue. And, you know, our summit is differentiated, I think. And we bring together really a, a different and unique and diverse group of people. We have a core of Bitcoin miners. That is kind of our, our core constituency and probably sure. what we do most, uh, most notably. And so we will have a Bitcoin mining stage. It's very focused on that on a, at a professional, very high professional level. Um, we're going to have opportunities for people to see Bitcoin mining operations. I think that'll be really cool. Um, but then our main stage will, will really bring a lot of our policy focus. So we, we've had a number of bills um, that we've worked on in the past. We'll have more going into the next legislative session. So we'll be able to get people plugged into that process and see what's on the, on the horizon for making Texas, you know, the best jurisdiction uh, for this technology. And we're working with a lot of new and external parties um, to to bring different viewpoints. So we're going to have programming specifically for CPAs, for uh, accountants. We're going to have some for lawyers, uh, continuing education. We're going to have a uh, banking track, um, registered investment advisors. We're going to have a track. So the idea behind that is not only to make the event impactful, but to bring new and diverse people and get them talking and networking um, at our event. And then our, ex our exhibit floor is going to be probably five times the size of what it was last year. So we're just excited about that because we can have a much broader, uh, you know, offering of, of different um, exhibitors. And I know that we'll have uh, a number of universities as we've already talked about today. I think that's really important. And maybe between now and then, maybe we'll team up. We could even have some K through 12 people talking about that subject matter. But that our focus for this event is to really bring that kind of innovative, like what's next? kind of discussion and get the right people in the room 
uh, you know, to highlight that and, and to, uh, to really be a, a catalyst for making that happen. Uh, and then people do enjoy, uh, you know, the, our, our, our typical headline speakers have been like Senator Ted Cruz, who's been a great champion at the federal level um, for some of the, the changes that we need to have a better regulatory framework. So we would love to have people in Fort Worth. It's November 15th through the 17th. And there's a lot more information at NorthAmericanBlockchainSummit.com. And I would just encourage people to check that out. Um, we're always updating it with new speakers and sponsors, and those are flowing in day by day now, thankfully. And it's just going to be, I think, a really impactful and, and differentiated event in the space. That's awesome. That's outstanding. And I can say from experience, when I was hesitant and new in the space, uh, you know, you, sometimes you're worried about like, how, do I, can I ask for help? Are people going to think I'm this group uh, and, and shout out to Lee and the team and, and, and you guys are the most helpful people you will ever like. There is nobody that's going to turn you down. Like if you're just brand new and wanting to learn, they are so helpful. And, and I never once felt like hey, that's a dumb question or everybody just wants to help, man. And it, you're right. It's a diverse group that just are very passionate about this space and, and willing to help and willing to share really anytime, any place, anywhere. I mean, just like you jumping on, we've never met and you were like, yeah, let's, let's jump on and talk, man. And so I can't <laughs> be more thankful. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, I could be some, some lunatic, you know, hopefully I'm not, but it's just a great, great energy uh, of learning, right? Which, which really struck me is just everybody's there to learn and help and support. So, you know, Steve, I, I really appreciate it. I really promise I didn't mean to take up this much of your time today, but um, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time and all the work that you're doing. And I look forward uh, for you guys to continue just to, to innovate in this space and make Texas number one in, in the world. Thank you, man. Look, the future is bright and the more people we can get in, I couldn't echo more what you just said. Doesn't matter if you're new, old, young, what we need diverse and innovative people coming to these events and to this industry and just learning about it. So I, I really enjoy this. I'm glad we got the opportunity to talk and I just encourage people reach out, you know, texasblockchaincouncil.org is our website and we have individual memberships there and I'd love to have a phone call and, and meet with as many people as I can and be a resource if, if, if I can do that for somebody. But I, I really just, um, I, I try and enjoy uh, finding any new opportunity to reach out to people and just say, look, this is something that can impact you and, and you, should, you should look into it and be open to learning about new technology. Absolutely. And we'll put all that information in the links below so that that way everybody can, if, they, if they're interested, they want to reach out or they're curious, they can do that. So again, hey, man, thank you for being here. And hopefully I can have you back on maybe in, in a couple of months, check back in maybe after the event and just get kind of a recap of, of the highlights and, and what, you, what you saw there. So great having great. you on. That'd be fantastic. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Produced by Podcast Architects.